Well, we're going to continue our sermon series called Jesus for Everyone, and we will be doing so um, by reading through Luke chapter 18. I'm going to be reading uh, the two parables that are paired here together. As, by way of reminder, uh, the way that we've been exploring this series, where we've been going through so far just through the book of Luke, and then uh, pretty soon in a few weeks we're going to be heading into the book of Acts, you'll see that the way that Luke writes is that he will so often pair together the stories of women and men. And then when he highlights parables of Jesus, a lot of the times the parables that he highlights, he intentionally pairs together parables of women and men back to back. And it is this, this way to let us know that when Jesus is, is navigating the regions of Galilee and walking around, the people that he's engaging with is everyone. The people that fill Jesus' imagination and, and the people that he desires to teach and show his way to is everyone. And so Luke, by, by highlighting these, these pairings together throughout his writings in Luke and Acts, again, is to show us, man, Jesus, Jesus is for you. Jesus is thinking about you. Jesus desires to pursue after you. He, he, is, he is for everyone. Um, so Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV. And he, speaking of Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Parents are often sought out by their children to be arbiters of justice. Often what ends up happening is that completely out of nowhere, maybe you're in the kitchen or you're in the living room, and there's a barging that comes in to your space by kids that are demanding that you make things right. They took my toy. 
They hit me. They were looking weird at me. And there, as a parent, you were just thrown into this courtroom-type environment. And you're given one side of a story. And in that moment, it is a demand upon you that you make a decision and you make it now. There's no time for, for deliberation. There's no time for hearing other sides of the argument. It just needs to be known right here, right now, in this moment, that the other child is wrong. And you make a choice that sets the world back into right orbit. You're thrown immediately into that space. And listen, sometimes as a parent, sometimes, because you're exhausted, sometimes because you're just thrown into it and, and, and just the loudness of the moment, you make decisions that maybe aren't the most fair. And you make decisions for what would just give you peace. No other parents are nodding their head yes to that. Is it just me? No, yeah. <laughs> you make decisions just to go, fine, here's the toy. And then the other kid walks away and you have no idea if they really took the toy or not. But you just act. And, 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 but most, most of the time, most of the time, your heart really is, how can I make a decision here that will be that will help my kids to know a loving and formative way? How, how can I make a decision here that isn't just merely setting a wrong right, but helping my kid to understand what it is to love their sibling? And a lot of times you have to stop and in that moment evaluate like what really was happening here. Okay, maybe they did take your toy, but do you hear the level of hate? that is in your voice right now for your sibling? In that moment, you just, you just try to navigate that scenario in a way that will actually be helpful, that really will bring true peace and justice to what's in front of you. But then they're maybe away from the home, and then we think about our, our criminal justice system. Then unfortunately, what we have to navigate is that, that oftentimes, uh, the courts don't play out how we think that they should, or, or maybe there's a level of, of bias. There may be just levels of, of corruption. You just realize that those things can, can sneak their way into human affairs. Brian Stevenson wrote an incredibly beautiful and challenging book called Just Mercy. And it's his own wrestling with the criminal justice system as he advocates for the poor, the wrongly condemned, for women, for children, for the handicapped. And he makes this haunting statement that he's encountered on multiple occasions in his work. He says, we have a system of justice that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. Stephen went on to say, wealth, not culpability shapes outcomes. Whew. Say all this to say this is precisely where the widow in this story finds herself. She, she doesn't have the resources to bring about the outcome that she's hoping for, that she's longing to see take place. 
It's likely highlighting that she's a widow. It's that she's poor. And so she doesn't have the ability to, to, to persuade the judge that maybe someone with a little bit more power and wealth in this system might have. And so Jesus tells all of this story. He tells this story to, to show a woman who is in a circumstance that is dire. And her fate is in the hands of a judge who doesn't care about doing what is good under the sight of God and doesn't really care all that much about people. And as he tells the story, you can almost, you can almost hear this imagined, imagined woman's train of thought. Will today be the day that this judge helps me? I'm so tired of showing up here every day, but what else can I do? But the only path forward for me is if this judge does what is right. She doesn't have anything that will tip the scales in her favor. But what she does have is her doggedness, her relentlessness, her faithfulness, her pursuit to continue to urge that this judge will finally be broken down and do what is right for her. And there's a level of humor and absurdity to Jesus' storytelling here. The words of the judge, if we can go to the next slide, are this. He says, no, I neither fear God nor respect man because this widow keeps bothering me. I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And actually, the Greek words here for this, this little phrase, beat me down, are actually the Greek words uh, for to beat black and blue, to smite so as to cause bruises and livid spots on someone. The, actually, the way that N.T. Wright, in, in his translation of this passage, translates it this way, if you go to the next slide, it says this, I will put her case right and vindicate her so she doesn't end up coming and giving me a black eye. The, the picture that Jesus is, is, is portraying for us is, is this woman with just doggedness and relentlessness. It is this old woman standing before a judge and popping him in the face so that he would actually do what is right. It's the picture of an old lady walloping a judge. And the point that we're meant to get across here is be relentless. Be relentless in your pursuit of God. Be relentless and you're running after him. And what should give your heart hope is this. Imagine a corrupt judge actually doing what is right because someone was so relentless, and now take that, that corrupt judge out of the picture and in their place put a good and compassionate God in that seat. Imagine what life would look like if you were relentless in your pursuit after a good and compassionate God. Like, didn't, didn't that stir your heart to actually like, want to jump into prayer? 
that, that you, would, you would relentlessly, faithfully, passionately, every day find yourself in an environment where you stand before not a corrupt judge, not a corrupt system, not, not a parent who's trying to figure out what in the world is happening in this space, but you're actually standing before a good and compassionate God. Be relentless in your pursuit of him. And Jesus tells this parable to a church that is longing for his arrival. Immediately before this parable, Jesus is talking about the coming day of the Lord. I'm going to read it to you. It'll come up on the screen. Luke chapter 17. This is what Jesus says right before he tells this parable. Then he said to his disciple, the time is coming when, when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or here he is. But don't go out and follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. What's the connection here? Jesus is talking to a church, letting them know that there's going to be a time where you are longing for my arrival. There, there's, there's going to be a time where the people of God are going to be longing for my kingdom to arrive here on this earth. And he sets it up in the context of his own suffering. And he lets us know that that might be an environment in which the church finds herself. That there may be a time where suffering happens before the coming day of the Lord. And then he tells this parable about relentless prayer and not losing heart. For me, this, this parable is one that, that ties our hearts to the global experience of the body of Christ. It's this reality of understanding that we have brothers and sisters around the world that are facing injustice and persecution because of their faith. It's a reminder to the church that, yes, there will be times where you will feel that just the, the collective weight of the darkness of the world around you, and you're going to be in a place of longing. God, when will you come? When will you set things right? Because what it looks like to us in the world around us is that darkness is winning out that lies and deception seem to be the things that have captivated and captured people's hearts and imaginations. And we here, your people, are longing to see your arrival here in the world around us. When? When will you show up and make things right? Because what your church is navigating and experiencing is pain, is turmoil, is frustration, desperation. God, when? When will you arrive? When will you show up? I love the words from, uh, it's a poem by abolitionist James Russell Lowell. These are the, the, the words of the poem. He says, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. 
Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. It's a, the, the words of the poem are a picture of truth being Jesus and the scaffold being the cross. That, that, that there is so often this experience in which truth seems to be crucified. And, and it seems as if wrong is what is ruling over the world around us. But, but the but the hope and the belief of the church is that God watches over us and that he will make things right. He will win out. Though it seems like truth is crucified, no, the truth really is swaying the future. Truth really will win out. And so Jesus tells them that the whole point of this is, is, and he gives them these words. Will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? He will quickly grant justice to them. Jesus is encouraging his church in those moments where you feel beat up in those seasons where it feels like there's not momentum, where it just feels like things are constantly diminishing around you, where it just feels like, like, like wrong is winning in the world around you, and it just feels like you're, you're stuck? He sees you. Do not lose heart. Be relentless. Let there be a doggedness about you. Let there be a passion that constantly fuels you to know, like, keep on going. Keep on going. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Because he will arrive. But he will arrive. And, but, but listen to what Jesus says here at the very end of this parable. He says, and yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And it's the statement to the church to say, I, I am going to arrive. I hope you don't give up. I hope I find you there. Like, I am going to show up. Continue. Continue to be faithful. Continue to pursue after me. Continue. Continue to have a faith and a hope that resides within you. The picture that I, that I have is if you watch some of the closing scenes of, of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and it's that point in which everyone's battling, and then suddenly they look up on the horizon, and then Gandalf breaks over the hill. And there's just that, that ray of light that meets them there, and it's this, like, there's, there was, there's this relentlessness that was happening. They were in a battle, and they were, there was this point of, like, do we give up, do we not give up? But they continue to fight. They continue to struggle, and then when they look up and they make eyesight with, with Gandalf, it was back to that point in which they were reminded, like, yes, he promised that he would show up, and he did. 
And there was a rejuvenation that happened within them, and they could continue to fight with even more fervency and passion. And, and that's what, what Jesus is, is, is communicating to the church here, like, like, listen, I will show up. And when I show up, I hope I find that there's still faith on earth. I hope that I, I still I show up and I find that you, you didn't lose heart. You kept on going. You kept on pursuing me. I will be there. Don't lose heart. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Be persistent in crying out for justice, for all to be made right, and for the kingdom of God to arrive fully here on the earth. May the church be a praying community that is constantly crying out, may your kingdom come here on earth. May we never stop praying that as a body of believers. May we have a constant resilient hope within us. The light will break through the darkness. The first parable is about our prayers where we cry out for justice, and the second parable is about our prayers where we cry out for justification. It's this point in which we, we stand before the Lord completely empty-handed and longing to know, do you see the state of our hearts? Do you see where we're at? After studying and sitting with this parable for all this week, I've come to call this second parable the man whose arms were too full to receive anything, and the man whose arms were empty and received everything. Again, Jesus' parable here has a level of absurdity to it. The Pharisee, the religious leader, lifts a prayer in the temple, and in that prayer, he is so busy celebrating himself that he doesn't end up asking for a thing. Like, imagine the scene. Someone strutting into the throne room of God, and they just have trophies in their hands. Like, they're just, they just show up, and there they are before the divine seat of mercy and grace. And what they are doing is, like, they have all these trophies, and they start a montage scene of their lives. And it's like, look at me! There's a chart up there, and it has, my, it has how much I've tithed. It, it shows all the sins that I haven't done. <laughs> like, like it, just, it just has this massive, like, he just stands before, before the Lord, and then, and then he also says, and I'm not like that loser over there. Aren't you proud of me, Jesus? And then there's another man that's in the corner. And his feet barely get over the threshold. And he stares down at his feet because to look up at the eyes of God would say that they're somehow on equal standing with one another. And he would dare not take that posture. It's just like, it's just, just, it's this. It's just this brokenness and emptiness, just like, I don't, I don't have anything. And Jesus stops and he says, it's that one. 
that's the one that goes home justified. And it's a prayer for those that feel wretched. It's, it's a parable for those that wonder if there's any hope for this broken and vile heart. It's a prayer of desperation and dependency that stops and says, God, the only way forward in my life is to know your mercy and grace. That's all I've got going for me. And the first man fell into the trap that we all fall into. I have to not be a mess for God to love me. We all fall into that trap. Because it's a script that we have learned from childhood. That, that people typically love us and embrace us and delight in us when we bring something good to the table. And, and, and friends, that's why we all need those friendships in life where, where we have someone that can come over to our house and we know we don't have to clean first. Because, because we know at the bottom of our hearts that they just love us exactly as we are. We all need those friendships in our lives. Because so often the, the script that we tell each other and the story that we portray to one another is, is if you are not a mess, then we can be friends. And, and listen, as, as a parent, I, I, I'm, I'm constantly, I'll just say it, worried that the narrative that I'm telling my boys is that there is more love and delight for them when they catch the ball that when their room is clean and when, and when the paper has an A on it. Because that's what we've all experienced, hasn't it? We've all have felt and received from one another that there is more joy and delight if your life is put together. And, and so we all can have this lie that creeps in to our relationship with God that we have to present well in front of him. And, and so when we seek to be right with God, when we seek to be justified with God, a lot of the times the tape that we'll play in our own mind is, how have I been doing? What have I accomplished? And Jesus is telling this parable to say, no. That's not the story. It's somewhat connected, but, and I hope to, to draw these, these two points here to, um, for you with clarity. But, but what I'm learning, particularly this year, what I'm really trying to learn is to live a life with gratitude and humility. And what I mean by that is, is for, the, for, for me to see all of the little things in God as 
as a very clear expression of God's grace to me. I'll tell a story if, if, if that's helpful to, to connect the dots here. I once had a friend, I believe I was in the, the car with him, and, and we were driving to a store, and we got a great parking spot. And their response was, favor ain't fair. Like, there was just this point of celebration, like, ah, God's favor's upon me. I just got the best parking spot right here in front of Target. And here's where my mind went. Well, theologically, I don't know if God would, like, arrange the parking lot so that way you were able to park the closest to Target. Like, a good and loving God would actually make sure that you park really far away, and maybe someone with a little bit of a limp in their leg would get this spot. That would be favor. But here's, the, here's what I've been noticing. People with the attitude of my friend are a whole lot more joyful. And, and this skeptical heart Has, has a harder time with joy. And, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm trying. Like this year, it really has been a focus to just try to celebrate the smallest of things in life. And, 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 and as I do so, as I move to, to gratitude and thanksgiving in those moments, just to, just the way I get to delight in the Lord. Like, so, so going to Costco, and if I get a great parking spot, you know what I find myself saying? Favor ain't fair. <laughs> just intentionally, just as a way, to, like, in my mind, just to be able to say, like, man, like, God, thank you for this parking spot. Because what I'm trying to do is get an attitude that actually recognizes that the world is filled with these constant expressions of a good God showering gifts upon me. Can I, can I tell you, is, is that, that kind of posture, what it's, what's causing me to do is to actually live a little bit more like empty-handed. It's causing me to live in a posture where it's just like, oh, I didn't deserve this, this is great. Like, oh, man, this is amazing. Like, I, like, look at this little thing that I get to experience today. Like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is amazing. Like, oh, and, and like just even yesterday, we, were, we went to, um, to World Market together because we were buying some, some little furniture for, for our backyard, and, and we just navigated it with, like, they got the order wrong initially, but, but we just came in with, with calm and, and warm and humble hearts, like no big deal, people make mistakes. And then they fixed everything, and then the employee responded, hey, I'm sorry that you had to nav navigate all this, I'm gonna take $50 extra off of your order. I was like, oh, that's rad. Right, just like all of a sudden, this attitude of joy and humility, and celebration, and gratefulness begins to completely redefine how I'm navigating the world around me. And, and what I find as well is, 
is just the ability to enjoy people is, is like is amplified. Like the, just this place of just being able to know that that like if someone does something that might be offensive to me or wrong or hurtful, it's, if if I navigate the world with this understanding that a good God is constantly expressing his grace to a people that don't deserve it, and that's constantly how I'm learning to live, then when some, someone does something wrong or offensive, the way that my heart can now respond is, God, I bet you're up to something in their, in their lives. Because if you keep treating me with such goodness and grace when I don't deserve it, then I bet you're doing that same thing in other people's lives. So he tells this parable, and right on the front end, Luke even tells us, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. And may we just be a people that live with this simple understanding. God is constantly expressing his grace to a people that are messed up and don't deserve it. And watch how that redefines your relationship with others. Watch how that redefines your, your, your relationship with God. Watch how that redefines the joy that you live with. When you're just someone that, that, that comes before the Lord empty-handed. I am in need of your mercy. I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of your mercy. And something like an empty parking spot might even be a demonstration to me that you were showing me your delight. Because the temptation that I can fall into is thinking that I show up to God with my list and he responds, you know what, Vince, you're right. You are better than others. Oh, but if I could have a humble heart. The way that God might lift up my life. The way that God might raise me up. The way that I might receive and experience a new kind of life if I live with joy and humility. So here's, here's what I hope to do right now, just for the, for the next five minutes. I, I want to simply sit today, and I want to have the Spirit of God explore these two points of prayer. The first parable is about a space that we long to see justice. God, where, when will you make this wrong thing right? The second parable is a place where we'd like to receive the mercy and grace of God. And maybe it's, it's a way of saying it this way. God, I feel empty here. Whatever it may look like in your life, I feel empty in this space. 
and I, and I need to know your mercy and grace. Pastor Brittany, if you can come back up, we'll, we'll head into to worship song here in, in a moment, but I just want to sit in that space that we would, I mean, the parables really are an urging to the church, like, don't give up, keep on praying. So let's not skip over this, and actually let's sit down and, and for a moment and pray. So in your own space, in this own moment, the two prompts for us are, is there a space that you want to see the justice of God? And, and the second prompt is, is there a space that you would love to experience the grace and mercy of God in your life? Let's just sit, and let's bring that before him. Maybe if you're someone that journals or writes, you can actually begin to write out right now. God, there's this, this space. I'd love to see your justice. I'd love to see you make things right. Maybe the other thing you're writing is God, there's a lot of shame in this space right here in my life. God, I feel really empty and inadequate here in this space. Lord, we pray. May we see the goodness of God here in the land of the living. That which is wrong, that which where it seems as if lies and deception have, have won out. The spaces in life where it seems as if the kingdom of darkness is ruling and reigning. In an area of the world around us, Lord, we pray, may your truth win out. May, may we see you, who is the light of the world, rule and reign over that space. Lord, the areas of brokenness, if, there, if there's a relationship that needs mending, if, if there is, again, a wrong that needs to be righted, Lord, if, if there's a space in which any 
of my brothers and sisters here or watching online, Lord, if there's a space that they've been navigating that has just been, has been painful and overwhelming for them, would you lift them up? Would, 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 you, would, you, would you bring justice? Would you bring, would you bring grace? Would your goodness visit them there? And Lord, for my friends, for any space of our lives, Lord, where we feel inadequate, or it just feels like we've been, we've been on a hamster wheel, just kind of running over the same issue over and over again in our lives. Lord, we just come to you and say, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> I cannot carry this on my own anymore. I, 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 I just can't do it anymore. And I need your mercy and grace to be the thing that sustains and frees me. So Lord, we pray. Hear our prayers.